So a lot of interesting things happening in New Zealand. Now, we're going to hear today about the New Zealand, New Zealand tourism campaign from the special group, which is based in Auckland, New Zealand, and they have offices uh, around that part of the world, uh, Australia included. And uh, also, um, it's a cool campaign. You're going to hear about it from Rory Gallery, who is from my original part of the world, Ireland. He made his way to New Zealand to to work uh, with this uh, with this agency. And of course, uh, for those of you who who are familiar with Rob Campbell, Rob Campbell is headed down to uh, Colenso, yeah, BBDO in uh, Auckland. So um, watch out for your recruiters calling you and taking you to different parts of the world. So the uh, the new New Zealand campaign, I think, is a really sweet, charming campaign. A simple idea that was executed really well, and um, 100% pure New Zealand had been running for a long time, and they needed to sort of pivot and evolve that proposition, and they did it very simply and very elegantly with the idea of uh, pure 100% pure welcome, uh, 100% pure welcome. So the basic uh, conceptual idea here creative idea was the was the uh the recording of sort of a mixture of user generated content and uh content produced by the agency that was recognizing the idea that New Zealand giving which part of the world it's in is the first place to welcome the day and so their idea is to build off of that and you'll see uh, you'll see here on the episode page or if you listen to the podcast on the podcast platforms you'll I'll, I'll drop it in here to the uh, audio track but you're, you're basically getting a bunch of vignettes. They recorded one vignette for every day of the year. And it was actually a leap year. So they had to do 366 pieces of film. And then they were pushed out socially through uh, different channels, as Rory uh, will explain. The one thing, as I say to Rory in this, the, the, the really unique part of this was uh, that came out of planning was the idea that, um, that Kiwis will go to ridiculous lengths to welcome you. And then they built the campaign off of that. But as I, I really wanted Rory to do, and I hope they'll do it in the future, I wish they'd done more things that were demonstrative of the ridiculous lengths that Kiwis could go to. Now, that could be a, uh, a terrific, awesome, uh, funny campaign as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Rory Gallery's head of strategy at the special group. And this is uh, Tourism New Zealand. Enjoy. Welcome, Rory. Good to have you here. Hey, Fergus. Thanks very much. Good to talk to a, a fellow Irishman this morning. Fellow Irishman, indeed. You know, you're the actually the second Irishman uh, that I have interviewed in shows this week. I just had a conversation the other day with uh, Stephen O'Kelly. Who yes. is, hey, you know Stephen O'Kelly? Yeah, he's my ex-client on Guinness. Is that right, man? How, how about that? I was going to ask you that. I actually asked Martin Beverly if, if he had remembered Stephen, but he had not, but yeah, I was going to ask you that exact same thing. But he he's working on Smirnoff now, and yeah, he came um, on with uh, Tim Jones from Seventy Two and Sunny, and we had a great conversation. Great stuff, and obviously, I know Martin Beverly as well, which just shows advertising is a very small world, isn't it? Really, yeah, Martin's a great guy. Great, uh, yeah, it's great. We've had him on the show a number of times. So uh, excited to have you on for the first time, and um, you and I plan to have another episode soon on Guinness, so I'm excited about that too. So uh, good to know that the Irish are still connected to their sources of alcohol in in one way or another. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So um, let's let's talk a little bit, uh, a little bit very briefly, if we could, about your journey to 
to uh, New Zealand. Uh, you obviously you grew up in Ireland, so, but just very briefly, give us the kind of the the thirty seconds about how you got to New Zealand. Yeah, I guess um, you know I spent my entire career working in advertising as a planner in Ireland, Australia, and um, in the UK as well in London. Um, and how I ended up down here was I guess I was I was very fortunate to meet the right girl um, who's who's a New Zealander. And um, after I guess spending about six years in London, we we decided to um, to make a venture to the other side of the world to be a bit closer to my wife's family. And um, I guess with the attraction of of New Zealand, um, obviously having a, a great work life balance and and a and a pretty good lifestyle generally down here, which I guess might be a bit of a key theme of what we end up talking about today. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, um, you you work at at the special group. Is that a is that a uh, do you describe that a small or mid sized agency or how would you describe it? So, um, so so we're an an independent agency. I would say in terms of New Zealand size, in terms of numbers, we're sort of relatively mid sized But I guess um, in terms of reputation, you know, we've we've got a, a relatively good reputation across New Zealand and Australia. So we've got a couple of offices. Um, in Australia as well, but yeah, so we're we're independent in nature, and I get and I guess in size, um, but I guess we'd we'd be relatively well known in these parts of the world. So, what kind of what, what size is your planning group? How many planners are in so, your, on your on your team? Because you're head of strategy. Yes, yeah, so I'm head of strategy. So there's there's five of us in total, including myself. And I mean, look, I worked um, at AMV BBDO, where where at one stage I think there may have been up to about forty planners so um look i've worked in in really big departments where you don't really even get to know everyone's name so yeah, yeah so so we were i guess you know comparatively to say us or uk planning department we'd be relatively small but pretty reasonable size for for a department in this market tell us about new zealand you're an irishman living in new zealand tell us tell us about i've never been to that part of the world uh, obviously it's become uh, increasingly famous for many reasons that we'll talk about. But tell me about New Zealand. Where is it for people who don't know size, population, industry? Just give us a kind of a profile of the of the country. Yeah. So um, it, look, it's it's a really good question because you quite often forget that obviously um, you know lot, lots of people don't really understand the sort of geography and and um, makeup of New Zealand and where and its place in the world. But I guess it would be relatively accurate to say that that even New Zealanders would sort of describe themselves as being slightly on the edge of the world. So, you know, <laughs> when you look at one of those global maps and you see it that, you know, quite often you'll see New Zealand down in the bottom right hand corner, just sort of next to Australia in the southern hemisphere. It's quite interesting actually that Tourism New Zealand um developed a campaign a, a couple of years ago that was called Get New Zealand on the map. Because quite often there will be there will be maps of the world where where New Zealand is not on it, um, <laughs> which which is of course a little bit of a challenge for the country. So, in terms of its size, I think from a population perspective, you know, it's a relatively small country. So the population is around about five million people, give or take, which is sort of very similar size to to Ireland, of course. Um, and you know, if anyone has been to Ireland, I think it's actually quite a good sort of a way to imagine a little bit what New Zealand looks like. So it's very green, lots of lush countryside. And I guess, you know, I quite often tell my friends and family that haven't been to New Zealand, I sort of say it's a little bit like Ireland on steroids. So the mountains are just a bit grander and bigger. The weather is significantly better. Um, and when I say better, I mean, 
you know, it, it's much sunnier and, you know, they get really good weather in summertime here. But equally speaking, in wintertime, you know, areas which have got mountains get brilliant snow and there's brilliant skiing. Is there sort of a distinct cultural thread among uh, New Zealanders or should we refer to New Zealanders as Kiwis? Kiwis, yeah, because otherwise we're going to be saying New Zealand and New Zealanders a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Kiwis, and I think maybe that's actually a, a good a good start point because Kiwis would probably prefer to be known as Kiwis rather than New Zealanders because I guess it's a little bit more laid back, which is sort of um, a good summation of the sort of attitude and lifestyle of the people here. I think that they strike what I would call a really good work-life balance. There's a big aspect of of island life where people sort of want to have a really good work-life balance and enjoy the country. And I think sort of culturally, whilst I wouldn't say, you know, it's the exact same as, say, somewhere like Hawaii, I do think that there are certainly some, um, there, there are definitely some similarities between, between the two cultures in terms of that sort of approach to life. Tell me about the challenge that, that uh, New Zealand faced from a tourist perspective. What, what, was, it, what, what was going on? And, and uh, give us a sense of timing on when this was happening. Tourism New Zealand has had a very long-running campaign which is called 100% Pure New Zealand, which is very much this idea of sort of celebrating the landscapes and the pristine nature and scenery that exists in the country. And this, and pre, this, 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 uh, this was an advance of Lord of the Rings, right? All of this. In a, yes, in advance of Lord of the Rings. And then Lord of the Rings, of course, would have supplemented... Absolutely. Because Lord of the Rings, for those who don't know, Lord of the Rings, was most of it was shot in New Zealand. So fast forward to 2018, and I guess there was a sort of few different things going on in the market. The first one is, is that visitors, were, in terms of its growth, was beginning to plateau. If you actually go and Google some tourism advertising from around the world, whether it's you know Ireland, Iceland, Chile, there's lots of different countries that I'm not saying suggesting for a second that they they copied tourism New Zealand, but there was a certain amount of um, emulation happening um, within the marketplace where lots of different countries were sort of positioning themselves on the basis of their amazing landscapes and scenery. Yeah. You guys have the business uh, for how many years, uh, the special group? So um, the situation with Tourism New Zealand at the time is that we were a rostered agency. So there was gotcha. a number of different agencies on the roster. And we had done some work for them that was primarily for their um, youth market. So they get lots of sort of backpackers from Europe and around the world that come. But we hadn't actually done, I guess, the, the sort of hero brand campaign. And in and around about 2018, it was decided to um, go to a pitch situation amongst the rostered agencies for the next global brand campaign, which is where I guess that the sort of our story um, begins in terms of looking at the specific problem around emulation at that time. So then tell us, so you guys, you get, you get invited in and there's obviously some sort of an RFP a brief, et cetera, a briefing. Yeah. And then what is it that, what is it that you guys are there certain assumptions that you make or is there a certain, and then is there, are there a certain, uh, is there a certain process that you go through as a planning group uh, in trying to kind of understand, okay, well, what is the problem beneath the problem? Going into this, we knew that we didn't have much time. 
it was going to be a fairly tightly run pitch. And I guess you've kind of got two options in the case of when you know that there's not going to be much time. One is, is that you wait for the brief and just you know be ready to go really hard when you actually get it, which we did anyway. The second thing is, is that you are smart and you start working on it before you get the brief. We had a little bit of a review of everything that the Tourism New Zealand CEO had been saying in conferences, in the newspapers, etc., sort of six months prior to getting the brief. And I guess without him probably ever really sort of knowing it, there was there was quite a lot of clues in there about, I guess, this idea of emulation being being a sort of key problem. And also there was there was a little bit of a steer in terms of where strategically they thought the brand might need to to head towards it was very clear from them that they sort of said we need to stop just sort of focusing on the place and we need to focus on i guess the way i would describe it as being people place and culture so we we sort of need to broaden it from being just about landscapes to sort of celebrating the people and culture of new zealand too and quite specifically within that there was a couple of cultural uh, values that they identified about New Zealand, Maori cultural values that, quite honestly, I had never heard of before we had walked into that briefing. And one of those values, and it took me quite a long time to to learn how to pronounce it, um, is called manakitanga. It's this idea that manakitanga is something where you you will treat visitors with really good hospitality and friendship and you will be warm and welcoming towards visitors so we had kind of locked off on a creative brief before we actually arrived in queenstown and i guess it was based on our intuition that this sort of concept of manakitanga and this idea of the welcome that you get when you come to new zealand was a really interesting space but i think the other thing that we needed to do was sort of begin to surface some of the stories that we knew of or that we could find that was sort of evidence that this was actually true of New Zealanders. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. So Jacinda Ardern, who is the New Zealand Prime Minister, she actually invited Ed Sheeran around for a cup of tea um, <laughs> prior to this brief. So the, the, it's so interesting. So these are just some of the many, many, many stories. There was a, another example of um, a British and Irish Lions fan. So this is a rugby fan who'd come to New Zealand for this rugby tour of New Zealand. And he was he was going to sleep in his um, camper van for the night. And he was having a drink at a rugby club. And one of the people said there, look, I'm sorry, but you're not sleeping in the camper van for the night. Why, why don't you come back to ours? So when the guy woke up the next day, he found himself staying in the same house with an all-back rugby player. So a fan who came to New Zealand to watch a rugby game ended up staying in one of the players' houses, which is quite incredible. <laughs> That's great. So we we surfaced quite a few of these stories. We very quickly spoke to New Zealanders and asked them for their own sort of personal examples of how they have helped visitors or what they've done for visitors when they've come to New Zealand. What motivates that level of openness to tourists? What is it about the culture that motivates that? So I think that there there are 
numerous aspects to that, and I think it's a really good question. I think one of them is certainly that New Zealand is very much influenced by its indigenous people and culture to this day, and, and that cultural concept of manakitanga. The other motivation is actually when you realize that someone has made all of the effort to come to New Zealand, which is on the edge of the world, you sort of feel a little bit of a responsibility and take pride in ensuring that they have a really good time when you get here. And that's that's why lots of people will go to quite unreasonable lengths. And, And I'm talking like really unreasonable. It's not uncommon for Kiwis to lend, you know, international travelers the keys to their holiday homes. People will let you borrow their car. It's crazy. Like I've just, I've never really seen it in, in any other culture. And this isn't, you know, New Zealand is not some developing country that's only new to the concept of tourism. I mean, this is, this is something that's more than a sort of a, an initial naive approach to people who are coming to your small town. I mean, this is really, it, it would appear to me that this is something that's more deeply ingrained. And, you know, I think one thing to remember is that we just don't have the same footfall as, say, you know, living in Ireland or the UK has of different people sort of just wandering through. It's just not how it works. People come to New Zealand, you know, you know that they've made a very specific and big effort to to come here and they've made that choice. One of the things that I that I, I remember from uh, an episode we did on Tourism Australia was the the um, the observation that around the same time as you're dealing with, which was 2018 when you had this pitch, but even going back, for, for them it was going back even further. But it was really interesting to remember about the fact that as, as, um, as things have changed in the U.S. and through most parts of Europe in terms of this sense of extremism, of nationalism, uh, attitudes towards immigrants, attitudes ultimately towards Americans, that Americans were not feeling very welcome in many countries that they might typically visit, and particularly empty nesters who, um, who, had, who, who, were, who had the time and the resources to travel long haul. Uh, but when they were going to Europe, they weren't feeling as welcome in Europe. They weren't feeling as welcome in the UK or they didn't want to go there. And so they looked to Australia as a place that was very open. So it seems to me with, with New Zealand being uh, having that humility, that empathy, having those traditions and that, that culture of openness, that, that there was this sort of wonderful, wonderfully perfect timing in terms of maybe drawing, drawing uh, U.S. tourists in. And I wonder, was that part of the thinking at the time that, that what was happening in societies and in global culture that you guys were a great answer to that problem for people in terms of feeling welcome? You know what? It's. I think that's a really um, brilliant point. I, I'll be honest, it was not necessarily part of our thinking, but I do think that part of our thinking was is directly related to the point that you just made, which is one of the challenges that we were facing a little bit in the context of all of this was that there had been some negative media and a little bit of a feeling about tourism in New Zealand in the sort of build-up to this campaign. And as a result of that, one of the, the things that was kind of like buried slightly in, in, in our briefing, because obviously there's lots of different things that we needed to cover, but one of the things that we were asked to consider was how we could engage Kiwis and how we could engage New Zealanders. And, huh. you know, when we get onto the solution, that, I mean, 
that that was one of the key criteria that was up on the wall when we were judging creative ideas is that why why was that why was that a criteria it was a criteria for us because it was quite clear that there was i think if i'm being candid probably more of a media led um backlash around things like freedom campaign and certain parts of new zealand suffering a little bit from over tourism Mm. and from our perspective you know it's really important that that from a sort of social license to operate for tourism new zealand that kiwis are are behind what tourism new zealand does so so for us it's quite a quite a big consideration so there was this sort of a level of jadedness, if that's even a word, that was beginning to build within among Kiwis that needed to be sort of managed almost? I think that it is a really interesting um, contradiction in exactly what the, the, the sort of data and insight was saying. Jadedness, yeah. agree, but also people could completely see the benefits of tourism. So there was sort of a, a respect for what it does for the country and how it enriches New Zealand, but equally a little bit of concern over, I guess, the volume of people coming here and, and right. I guess some of the behavior of, of tours when they were actually here. So you guys you guys are away as a team. Ultimately, there's a briefing. Um, and then tell us, uh, tell us about sort of strategic, about getting to a, a firm, solid perspective and strategy, and then the the transition to creative work. What, what I mean, was there even a transition? It sounds like it just all happened organically. I think that there was a very clear um, strategic approach where we kind of concentrated on this insight around New Zealanders being a warm welcoming, inviting bunch. And there was a really key part for us in the insight, which I think ends up influencing or at least I, I hope that's what the creators think, ended up influencing what we actually did. And it was this idea that Kiwis aren't just warm and welcoming, but they go to ridiculous lengths to welcome you and ensure that you enjoy your time in New Zealand. And I think that word ridiculous lens or those words ridiculous lens are really important. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I guess for us... That Where did that biggest... come from? Did, did that come from planning or did that just come from a creative person or did it come from just a group session? I think that kind of came from, you know, looking at all of those stories yeah. and talking all about all those stories and kind of going, actually, Kiwis really do go to quite great lengths for, for people that come here. doesn't feel like you get that everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was, um, it was, it was, a, it was definitely a strategic decision that we sort of were quite precise about, about those use of words. Well, I mean, I, 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 I do think, I do think that it's common. I mean, I think that Ireland has gone that way, the birthplace of good times, the warm, welcoming culture. But what I particularly like about what you just said is the word ridiculous, as you just pointed out, underscored that line, that word. That to me is like, that sounds like, okay, this could be some really interesting shit when the word ridiculous is used. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that there was, there was just one massive watch out for us in the brief. And again, I think the, the words ridiculous ridiculous lens were particularly important for, for this reason. There was a huge danger that we ended up creating some communication that kind of just tells people that we're a welcoming culture. And for us, that just could not be the creative solution. We had to try and demonstrate that New Zealand was warm and welcoming in some shape or form, whether that be, you know, an act or 
something that we undertake as an activation in countries, et cetera, et cetera. So it couldn't just be one of those, you know, campaigns, which just sort of says that we are, it had to actively right. do it. And that was a key requirement of, and filter for how we looked through all of the creative work. So tell us about some of the, some of the early ideas. Cause I know in our, in our other conversations, we talked about the fact that there was, um, well, there wasn't a, 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 a there weren't there wasn't sort of options strategically. There were tons of options, however, creatively. Can you talk about that? Yeah, and I guess I would I would sort of say that there was somewhere in the region of about fifty creative ideas on the wall. And, you know, we had lots of creative teams, as I said, in both offices um, in Queenstown. So we off, had a off lot- of one off of one idea, or or fifty or so distinct ideas off of that proposition so i think that is a really really good question and i'm going to come back to that a little bit later if that's okay because because i I think what happened was we had these kind of 50 ideas and we ended up narrowing it down to say say 10 based on our criteria when we kind of narrowed it down and and this kind of happened at a later point outside of queenstown one of the things that we kind of realized was that we had lots of different things that kind of felt like they were campaigns, but not necessarily what I would sort of describe as being a core creative idea. And that was a key breakthrough for us because it wasn't that we didn't have one, it was that we, we hadn't articulated it. So at that point, our core creative idea became what we, we use the phrase 100% pure welcome. And this, this idea was based on showcasing and showing off the u- unique welcome that you get from New Zealanders. And when you kind of looked at the the creative work that was on the table, that kind of meant that we had an anchor point. So whether it was campaign one or campaign two or campaign 10, what we kind of realized is that they all, or at least most of them, laddered that back into that as our core creative idea. So when we came to pitch stage, you know, that's what we were selling first and foremost to, to the client. And then coupled with that, we had a number of different campaigns that, that I guess we we developed off the back of that and one which ended up um, seeing the light of day. There was probably quite a few of our ideas that on the wall that did a really good job of being warm and welcoming, but they probably didn't do a very good job of selling New Zealand as a place which still has got landscapes and activities that you might want to do. So that was kind of a realization that we because had. Because they, we they were devoid of people and place? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So we were leaning too much towards people rather than sort of realizing that actually had to still be people in place. So I think that was a really good realization. And I guess was a, was a really useful exercise in having so many ideas because it helped us to, to be more focused on what the idea needed to do because we still needed to develop content, couldn't just be PR based and still had to, to sell the place as well. Tell us about the um, the ultimate idea, how, how you guys labeled it and describe it for the listener. It'll be on the episode page, of course, but describe it if you could. <laughs> yeah, so the idea is called Good Morning World, which is a, a global campaign that demonstrates New Zealanders welcoming nature. And in the idea, essentially, um, as the first country to see the sunrise every day, we gave New Zealanders the official role of greeting people and saying good morning to the world. So in execution, that meant every single day for an entire year, a different New Zealander from their own special part of New Zealand would say good morning to the world. Good morning, world. I hope you had a good night's sleep. 
I'm here at beautiful Mangabai Heads, one of my favourite spots. One thing that's special about New Zealand is that we're one of the first countries in the world that gets to see the sun every day. So we thought, since we're up already, how about have one of us Kiwis say good morning to the world every single day for a year. You know, a little welcome from us to you. So, I guess I'll be going first. Good morning world, I hope you have an amazing day wherever you are. Come on. So my understanding though is that when, when you talk about uh, good morning world, the ones that I've seen on YouTube and you'll see on the episode page here, they they almost seem to have been designed for the Instagram world where they're just sort of 10 seconds, five seconds. So are you saying that there were longer formats that you could customize for regions? Yeah, there were longer formats, yeah. And we had a, we had a really good mixture. But look, I, I think to your actual point, though, really this was built for, I guess, a sort of social and content-led world. And, right. um, you know, nearly the idea of this is a really cool thing to kind of look at on your mobile every morning on your way to work. So it was definitely a sort of socially-led um, campaign at, at its heart. And, and that was a sort of key part of the way it was executed. And I think there was a couple of reasons for that. One is is that it was the nature of the idea. The other is is that you know our share of voice globally for a tourism organization is tiny. I think it's 0.3% of this global share of voice. So we don't have the budgets to be on TV in all of the markets. So I think maybe in Australia, yeah, so Australia, I think might have been the only market where we're actually on TV. Mm. Other than that, most of our paid media would be going behind digital media and as you know a lot of that is of course consumed on mobile so when you actually sort of see the the instagram channel or you know the work elsewhere it is built for that world so one of the things that struck me about it was it it seemed to be a campaign that i had to subscribe to rather than i would see it in terms of paid media environments because the the instagram account platform which was perfectly suited for it you had to subscribe to that Instagram account, but whether was it was it was that same format used in digital display ads that you were pushing out through paid media? No, media? no, there was a there was a significant portion of it that you know was just paid for advertising, um, just just okay. like anything else, really. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing that struck me was I I I I felt a when I see the work. I don't know if others will feel the same way when they see the work, but I didn't find that I was experiencing the ridiculous links that people would go go to to make me feel welcome. I certainly got the warmth and the humility and the friendly nature, but I, I was surprised that, as I wanted to ask you, did you guys not explore, well, what are some of the extremes that we can uh, show that demonstrate the ridiculous nature, the, 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 the ridiculous length people would go to? Um, I think that there was probably different levels where where we did that. So there was probably some creative ideas that were on the table for campaigns where I would say that they did exactly what you just said in terms of ridiculous sense, where you actually see it physically in the content. But yeah. I guess in our mind, the ridiculous sense in this case was an, an entire country, I guess, going to the trouble of ensuring that every day for a year um, someone says good morning. And... I was not every single person would necessarily see all 366 bits of content. I do think it is quite obvious from, you know, even the graphics in it, that it is something that is occurring every single day. So, so I guess right. for us that that was what the, the ridiculous bit was when it came to this idea. 
So you guys had to, was this, was a lot of this user generated content or was it all original that you shot 366 of these? Cause they're, I mean, they look, they all look really legit and they look like they're well-produced. So it was a good, good, healthy mixture. So we received somewhere in the region of about 1200 UGC films, of which of course, not everything made it and we couldn't use all of those. Um, but broadly in terms of the campaign makeup and appearance, I would probably say about 65 to 70% was what we shot. Of course, you can imagine it was a pretty unique production model that we had to use yeah. to, to make make all of these. Um, and then the rest was UGC, because some of the UGCs were, were absolutely incredible. Um, and I mean, I would even go as far as saying that some of the UGC content that we got actually ended up being our highest performing content in markets. And I think the beauty of it was because it was all real people and it was sort of slightly humble in its production approach, you can't really tell the difference between what we did versus what people did because it is just born from a world that feels very real. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that really sort of helped us, you know, it wasn't overly produced. It was down to earth. Didn't have like a whole bunch of cutaways and all that kind of stuff. We weren't trying to be very tourism board about it. We were trying to be, make them feel like it was real. They were real and genuinely coming from Kiwis. Well, I, as we wrap up here, I'll just say that I I would uh, I'd love to uh, encourage you guys to show some of the ridiculous likes in the next iteration of the campaign. Maybe some, <laughs> maybe there'll be some freaky comedic things that start to happen as things go on. So Rory Gallery had a strategy special group in Auckland, New Zealand, by way of Ireland. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Fergus. Great to chat. Have and we a great will. Day. Uh, yeah, you too. We'll see everybody on the next episode.